Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there. Welcome to episode number 579 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I am Sarah Wendell and Dr. Chuck Tingle is back. His episode with me from 2016 remains the most popular episode in the catalog. And I am so excited to have Dr. Tingle back on the show. So we're going to talk about eliciting joy, proving love, and the three most maligned genres and why they're denigrated. Plus, we talk about Chuck's ever-evolving trot as an artist and a person. I want to say a very special thank you to Caro Perney for coordinating this interview. I also want to say hello and thank you to the Patreon community. And I have a compliment this week to Ellen H. I don't know if you are aware, but your kindness, cleverness, and ability to make people laugh inspired all the happiest and most popular emojis on everyone's phone. Yes, even that one. If you have supported the show with a monthly pledge of any amount, thank you. You are keeping me going and you are making sure that every episode has a transcript hand compiled by an actual human garlic knitter who is not an AI. I have met her. She's a real person. It is important to me that the episodes be accessible and it's important to the community as well. So thank you for keeping me going. And hello to AK, who just joined the Patreon community. Welcome aboard. If you join, we have bonus episodes. We have a wonderful Discord community. And we have a lot of jokes and silliness. So have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Support for this episode comes from Lumi Deodorant. It is the perfect time of year for me to talk about Lumi because the calendar might have flipped over to a new month, but it's still plenty hot and sticky where I am. It is still soup. It is still weather that makes me want to hide inside, and it will be for a little longer. But thankfully, Lumi deodorant makes it very easy to feel comfortable and freshly scented. And I have a special offer. New customers get $5 off Lumi starter pack with code Sarah30 at lumideodorant.com. The whole family over here really likes Lumi. I use the solid stick deodorant, and it is great. The toasted coconut scent is lovely, but not overpowering, and I don't ever have to reapply. I think about it once a day and only once a day. Not only do I like Lumi, but my teenagers do as well. How does it work? Well, some products try to mask odor with a fragrance, but Lumi is formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. It's more like a pre-odorant. Lumi can control odor 
for up to 72 hours. It's a first-of-its-kind deodorant, too. It was designed to be safe to use anywhere on your body, even your feet. Lumi was developed by an OBGYN, and it's aluminum and paraben-free, skin-safe, and clinically proven to control odor for up to 72 hours. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid-stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice, like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, plus free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code SARA30 at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code SARA30. Support for this episode comes from Wattpad. You might recognize the name Anna Todd from her number one best-selling after series. It was a massive global hit. It was made into a movie. Her appearances cause lines to form around city blocks. So you might have heard of her before, but did you know she's written a new romance trilogy? It's true. The first two books in The Brightest Stars are out now. And if you are looking for some late summer, hey, it's still hot and maybe I can go to the pool type of reading, listen up. Set against the backdrop of a military base, both books feature emotionally powerful stories about slowly falling in love with another person and with yourself. Colleen Hoover is a massive fan of Anna Todd's heart-stopping new trilogy. She raved about the first book, The Falling, by saying, Anna Todd is my go-to for a story I know I'll love and characters who live in the heart long after the last page is turned. You can find The Falling and The Burning by Anna Todd and buy your copies wherever books are sold. All right, it's time for me to talk to Chuck Tingle, which is always a lot of fun. On with the podcast. Yes. Oh, dang. I am uh, Chuck Tingle, author of uh, Erotica and Romance. And uh, now, uh, for the last couple of years, actually, horror, Cam Damascus is my first traditionally published horror novel. Um, I had a horror novella called Straight that was out before that that I self-published. But um, I would say... Uh, Cross genres, but um, sticking with the LGBTQIA themes uh, is is what I would say. Absolutely true. And you have been publishing Tinglers for a very long time. You and I first spoke, I think it was 2016, we did an interview. Wow. Oh, this is so exciting. I am so happy to be here. And um, it's very moving. I think that... Um, at this point, putting out first traditionally published novel, um, they, there's a lot of um, reflection and a lot of just, um, I've been having big feelings, big good feelings, um, seeing the way that things have kind of um, changed and um, the perception of me and, and my work has changed a lot. Uh, I think, um, honestly, I am, uh, I will say to give you credit, and one of the reasons I'm so happy to come back is I feel like um, you you were always um, taking me uh, seriously and and at least understanding that um, what I was creating was from a from a place of love. I mean, we all have our own interpretations of of art, but um, you were always a very strong proponent from the very beginning, and I I appreciate that. So this is another full circle. I, I'm just I'm so happy to be here. Oh, that's really nice of you to say. And absolutely, we have been longtime supporters of the Tingle universe, particularly because what you're doing is blending absurd silliness 
with really thoughtful commentary about whatever it is you're writing a tingler about. You're actually informed about what you're talking about, but you're also, forgive the language, injecting it with a significant amount of silliness and absurdity, which is like exactly the intersection of my sense of humor. So absolutely, we want to support this. Plus, you're writing consensual, erotic, queer short source, short stories, effectively. I mean, why wouldn't we support that? That's friggin' awesome. Yes. And, and you know, it's so interesting. Um, I guess with all, with all art, even the artists themselves is kind of um, picking. I understand it when I create it, but then I, I learn more about it oh, yeah. as it goes. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that um, there is so much sincerity in Tinglers, despite them being objectively absurd. Yes. That I've, I've kind of come to terms with them um, that maybe that is satire, but it is sincere satire. Yes. And I think year, years ago, I couldn't articulate that, that those two things could be possible. So um, that's just my journey. We're always on, on journeys, you know. Oh, it's true. And you don't necessarily know what you think until you read back something that you've written and think, oh, yes, okay. My, I call it the crock pot in the back of my brain. I just chuck ideas back there and they cook for a little while. And then, oh, oh, here's a fully formed idea that you can write. And it's in almost in order. I don't ever write in oh. order, but that's, that's how it happens. Wow. It goes in the crock pot, and then it comes out. I love that. That is exactly my process, too. I think we might share a process. I think we do. Um, when I'm waiting, waiting to write, this is mostly novels I'm talking about. My writing process is um, probably two or three months of thinking of the idea, thinking of the message, kind of swirling it in my head. I like to go on an hour-long trot every morning up a dang hill, and I just think about it. I don't write a word. And then after about three months, when I could, I, I like to say when, uh, when I can tell the story off the top of my head, like I'm sitting around a dang campfire and I just know it like that. Then I sit down and write. And when I write it, it only takes about a month because I'm just writing a story that I know very well. Um, maybe you could say it's been simmering in the crock pot. Yep. Is that kind of similar to how you just think of it and let it sit and simmer and then it just comes out? Pretty much. And, and I struggle with this. And I wonder if you do, too. I struggle with when I am writing, responding to something that is happening right now because I haven't had enough time to cogitate on the larger issues that are that are nagging at me. Um, so when there's like a breaking news story in romance, for example, I often struggle with trying to fully articulate it because what I'm doing is reacting rather yeah. than analyzing, which for me takes longer, needs to go in the crock pot. Oh, wow, that's interesting. I have, well, I have two, two answers for this because I write two kinds of stories. One is, um, you know, erotica, which can come out 24 hours after something dang happens. And then next is these um, horror novels. And, uh, you know, I've self-published erotica and then uh, Nightfire is doing these. So uh, traditional publishing takes much longer. So yes. I'm basically, op I'm operating at warp speed and then super slow grinding machine that yep. takes years and years. Um, and I feel very fulfilled with my, because I'm allowed to do both. Um, I think that the way that I write Tinglers, um, I don't have that hesitation because I kind of think artistically um, there is no perfect. I've, I've had to learn that, uh, uh, and that's been part of my process. And so, I mean, all of the Tingleverse is kind of a rejection of that and saying, 
I'm going to capture the moment as I feel it right now. Yes. So they are kind of intentionally messy. They are intentionally um, the first thought that comes out. And I think fortunately, I guess I, I am analytical enough that there's a coherent, uh, there's a coherent something there. Really, the way I look at Tinglers is, you know, in music as a medium, there's an entire genre of punk rock where um, the guitar is maybe played a little too sloppy and the singing might be a little out of tune. And you just capture that and then you put it out and everyone says, oh, this is wonderful. This is the punk rock. That doesn't really exist in writing. And I kind of would like... Um, I kind of feel like what I'm trying to do is the forefront of that with Tinglers um, to say, uh, yeah, there there are some errors in this because it was written in a day. It is my raw, unfiltered thoughts on this. And it is interesting because in, in literary uh, medium, uh, all you're going to hear is, oh, that's, uh, that's spelled wrong. That's not thought out. That's all these things. But if you were creating a song in music, they would just say, oh, wow, that's a great punk rock song. It's a, it's very interesting that it doesn't um, apply to the medium of written word. Uh, and so I guess I think with Tinglers, that's kind of what I'm trying to do is um, punk, punk writing. Uh, and then um, uh, for my longer form things, I'm still doing that. But what I found is that with the, you know, I was kind of worried about Camp Damascus as far as, wow, I, I wrote that two years ago. How much are these issues going to really apply? I'm so used to a 24 hour turnaround. But the thing is, is um, these issues are systematic. Uh, yes. the, the, um, the oppression of LGBTQIA people, the tactics that conservatives use um, the, uh, are exactly the same. If you look at what's being said about trans people right now, it's just the same. It's repeating on a wheel. So uh, it's it's interesting that what I was worried about was, oh, this won't apply anymore. And then I kind of realized, well, conservatives are never going to come up with a new tactic. It's, it's going to be the same. So um, these issues just kind of become systematic and um, sad for reality. But as far as the art goes, it does make it um, uh, very current, no matter when these things come out. It's true. Now, I have some questions from members of my Patreon community who were extremely excited that you were back on the show. And Brawler, who just read Camp Damascus, said, quote, I'd like to know whether you've had experiences of your own with anti-LGBTQ religious communities as a young person. Some of the details of the church were very familiar. Like you said, it's a familiar map. And other things seem like a mix of traits from more than one denomination, which works because it is a fictional cult. Um, well, you know, what's interesting, I, I've, I've been kind of honored in that um, a lot of the reviews say, wow, there's no way Chuck, uh, w- I guess we've learned something about Chuck. He must have been a group evangelical. Uh, that, that, that Because they say, oh, some of these details you could only know of um, kind of being in these groups. And actually, um, I did not, I have been... Um, Pretty much, I would say, agnostic uh, ever since I was even aware of the thought of what is this Um, from very, very young. I think that basically what happened uh, was, um, you know, I I kind of I'm wearing this mask after after the skies things about my life. But they're all they're all actually true uh, in their own way. The example I use is. um, if I say, oh, I, I pet a cat today, if I post that online, I, I probably pet a dog. But um, 
they are all they are all kind of in their own way uh, a true. I'm just kind of protecting my privacy. Um, and one thing about my life that I've just kind of recently started talking about is that I spent um, a good dang decade and a half of my youth um, traveling. I went all over the dang country, um, hitchhiking around, dang, uh, uh, meeting up with buckaroos, uh, staying on dang couches, uh, working little little jobs, and um, basically a dang, uh, dang Tingle versus Jack Kerouac novel was a pretty big part of my youth. Um, and so um, a lot of those experiences um, kind of gave me inside looks uh, on things. I, and, and, and actually, I think made me pretty intolerant because I have a lot of buds from all walks of life. Um, and during that time, I had some evangelical buds um, that I was not uh, a Christian. And I would say, I don't know what the heck you guys are talking about. Uh, this is very strange to me, but I'm glad we're buds. Um, and I kind of learned a lot from just hanging around them. Um, there's a lot of things in the book that are directly from those times. Um, I, I remember there were real, in, in Camp Damascus, there was a, a root beer kegger. And uh, I remember uh, going to a root beer kegger. Uh, I remember it getting broken up by the police. And uh, we said, uh, well, um, actually, there is no underage drinking going on here. Uh, this is all root beer. And the place said, what the heck do you think we're stupid? What are we talking about? And then handing them a drink and them saying, oh, oh my gosh. Okay, well, uh, carry on, uh, young folks. Um, so there's some things like that. Just little, I remember there's a part in Camp Damascus where someone talks that says, um, well, I'm so proud of them. And then kind of corrects themselves and says, well, not proud. Um, and I remember that happening to me with a bud where they're, their um, their parent said, "Oh well, of course I'm not re- I'm not proud of them." And I just thought, "Wow, what a interesting thing to to be so worried about the sin of pride that you won't even say you're proud um, of your daughter." Actually, and um, so there were these little tidbits from being involved uh, and and having buds in this community that I picked up. And then now that I'm older too, um, here I'm living in Los Angeles, city of devils. And uh, I have a bud here um, who was uh, uh, in a cult, actually, growing up. So um, I talked to them a lot and did kind of an interview about um, their experience in, in a cult. So that's kind of where I drew it from. That makes a lot of sense. Brawler also added that they appreciated that you included a character who continued to find comfort and value in religion, even though that this particular church had harmed them in the book. Yes. Yes, well, I'm definitely not, um, I'm not anti-religious uh, or, um, you know, I think you can make it broader to say anti-spirituality. Um, I, I am, uh, I think that this book is specifically about uh, using religion for, uh, for an excuse for hate. Um, yeah. And in this particular situation, they don't even really think they're doing it for hate. They, they think they're doing it out of love. And then it's kind of revealed, well, actually, they don't actually believe anything that's that unusual. It's actually just, they're just kind of a normal church. Um, I think I, I got that. Um, Jordan Peele is very big inspiration to me. And there's been a lot of comparisons to Get Out that I've been getting of Camp Damascus. And it's apt because um, there is a scene in Get Out. Um, I think that, that the reason that movie works is because the family is a liberal family. Um, yeah. When the dad's when the dad says, uh, 
uh, I would have voted for Obama for a third term. That that is the key to that movie right there. And so I definitely tried to um, to do that with Camp Damascus for sure. Yeah, and it's a performance of a particular kind of not nobility, uh, virtue. It's a performance yes. of virtue. And yet that same virtue is being used to harm people as an excuse for just hating them for being different. Yes. Well, you know what it is? It is um it is buckaroos who I think gosh, it's almost like you could divide the dang world. And we're all most of us, the majority of people are trying to love and do right in their own way. And I think that the difference here is um uh, in this particular church, and I'd say most of the church in general, um, believe that love and control are are synonymous. Yeah. Um, I think that the other side thinks, well, you don't really know how to love, so I'm going to help you uh, through uh, uh, kind of overriding your agency, because I know best. Yes, it is an overriding of agency, and it's a it's an insistence on a level of control that isn't really, doesn't really mesh well with human development and growth. No, you think we've learned that by now. No. uh, It keeps happening. It's that meal over and over again. I have been saying that, especially when I'm on Twitter, this is where I see it the most. It's as if the community is the sun. And there are issues that orbit hourly that we talk about every hour. And then there's issues that come up maybe once a month. And then there's issues that come up every five years. And I've been online long enough that it's like, oh, wow, that's a 10-year issue and it's back. Wow. Okay. That is, oh, that's, you, thank you. You've given me a new, uh, a new brain, uh, uh, a new vision. For that. Yeah. That is so, that is true. And when you see that five or 10 year issue come back, and like you said, it's the same map, it's the same language. We're, wait, we're still doing this? Yes, that's going to give me a lot to think on. I, I love, I, see, I knew, I knew trotting back here. I was very excited for this. <laughs> well, I have to ask, because you've been talking about erotic fantasy and horror. What led you to choose horror after writing so much? I mean, is it fair to call Tingler's erotic fantasy? I really thought about that for a solid five minutes. Like, what are the genre I, terms that I would use? But I, that was where I landed. And I'm curious if you agree. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
that that is actually um I would say that well we talked at the beginning about my relationship with calling them satire. I think I think erotic fantasy is is what I have always kind of thought the of them as. Mm-hmm. And um I think that now I'm kind of learning, well, you know, it's different things to different buckaroos. Always and, and really really the point of it is to to elicit joy. So however that's perceived is fine with me. But yes, I think erotic fantasy is is probably the best the best um thing to uh capture it all yeah and then i um to move to horror to answer the question um i have always loved horror i think that horror and erotica and romance are very related i i've talked uh, a lot actually i'm getting doing my bank book tour i have a whole slideshow about this but um um, the I say the trinity of maligned genres and that is um three genres it is um erotica comedy and horror i kind of see them related uh because you know they are looked down upon uh in a sort of um maybe the the snooty uh literary minds of of a sort of i'm doing air quotes for listeners intellectuals um if you enjoy any of these genres they are not serious or real art yeah um and and i'm sure you know this is a big romance so everyone listening to this knows what that's like for romance it is the same with with comedy and horror uh and to to various degrees and I, i think um that uh, the reason for that that I have found is because those um, elicit reactions of the body. Oh, and that's a really interesting theory. I was just going to say you're talking about sex and arousal, love, yes. love, laughter, and fear, which are all yes. they're all physical responses. That's that's very true. They're, they're primal, instinctual things, and so I think that a lot of uh, a lot of people. Um, have kind of, and going back to religion, you can see that religion is, is you're not supposed to listen to your body. Your, your mind should override all of these things. This is the correct way. There's an anti-body uh, thing that has been going on for, for I mean, since then, uh, humanity began. Yeah, uh, And uh, I think that these genres in the current landscape are are kind of taking the brunt of some of that. Um, I will add to romance all of that, plus the fact that it's mostly uh, women writing and reading. So that's a whole other uh, additional thing that it's being kind of discriminated for. Yes. Layers and layers. But but uh, I will focus on the body thing. Well, actually, those are kind of intertwined if you think about um, issues of abortion, women's rights. Um, people really want to control women's bodies in general. Yep. So maybe maybe that's why uh, romance has really, really uh, taken the brunt of that too. But um, for me, what I like in art, and I guess we talked about this at the beginning, is definitely not perfection. It is just honesty. When something floors me, it's when I, I can see the artist just bleeding on the page or the song or the screen um, without those um, dang filters. Kind of funny coming from someone wearing a mask, but still, um, that's what I like and that's what I try to create. And so um, I just find those three genres are really where I always like to play around because that to me is like where the that's where the heart is. That's where the honesty is. Um, so I've always been drawn to those. And I think you can see that with Tinglers and now moving to horror. I kind of think, honestly, that's why, especially uh, lately, you see a lot of um, 
people in comedy jumping to horror and being very, very successful. Yes. Um, Jordan, Jordan Peele being a big one. Um, Zach, is it Zach Krieger? Uh, whoever did Barbarian uh, was uh, in that comedy. Uh, and so, it, you know, it's, it's just kind of this um, interest. Oh, what did I just see? Um, uh, uh, talk to me. Uh, also, uh, YouTube, the, the director of that did a YouTube uh, comedy thing. So there's just this incredible kind of horror resurgence coming out of um, that world. And, and I just, I see uh, romance as the same. They're just um, all of these genres that aren't afraid to play with reactions of the body. That's very true. And they're also very core emotions. Arousal and fear and love are essential pieces of humanity and the first ones i mean i honestly think if you were going to go back to uh, let's say cave person times although i know scientifically there's all kinds of things there but just imagine um think about the first stories yeah um you know probably first story i would say is probably a horror story out of safety say don't go out there uh, there's a bear in those woods. There's a bear in that cave. And that's um, what was in the cave paintings, too, is animals to be aware of for hunting and animals to be aware of that might want to kill you. Yes. And then once you take care of that, you have um, romance and erotica. Everyone, you know, um, I can't remember what they call prostitution, the first job or so. I can't remember. The, the world's <laughs> oldest profession. There it is. I uh, see that, yes. So, um, I just, I do think there's a sort of a primal human need and survival within these genres even comedy um laughter i don't know if they've really cracked the code but um there's a lot of research to say that um laughter is a a survival response uh, when hunting in groups to let others know that that vine is not actually a snake yeah and so instantly your brain uh laughs and then you say, okay, we're, then we can focus on what's ahead of us. So all of these things are so deeply primal. And, it, and I think that the idea of turning your nose up at these primal experiences and these primal physical and emotional responses is another element of control. I am completely, oh, yes. I am control of myself. I have complete control of myself. I don't feel arousal in this. I dictate it. I don't, I'm never afraid. I am a grown person who is never afraid. Like, wait, that's a thing? That's a point you get to? Because I have, I am heading towards 50 and I am afraid all the time. So the yes. idea that you can look down on somebody for having these primal emotions is a, um, it's a performance of control. Yes. Oh, yes. And so it's so vulnerable Yes, um, and and a lot a lot of um, people think that being vulnerable is uh, giving up your power. And I would say that that it is not. No, um, it, you know, for me, the way I experience this through most of my uh, career is a lot of buckaroos will say, you know, Chuck Tingle's my favorite author that I've never read, and part of that is is kind is I understand they're trying to be kind. With this comment, um, a lot of buckers love my social media presence, love my covers and, and everything. Um, but I think that honestly, if they realize that I am being completely sincere and serious and actually read them, they might get some enjoyment, whether that is laughter or arousal. I guess maybe fear too, if it really, if it's really a fetish they're not used to, but some, some kind of exploring of that. Um, would be a vulnerable thing for most uh, people. Yeah. Um, and so 
Uh, that comment of my favorite author I've never read, if you really pick it apart, what that's really saying is, wow, I love Chuck Tingle, but don't you think that I would ever have a alternative sexuality? Don't you ever think I would really enjoy this queer art? Yeah. Um, and I know they don't, you know, I do appreciate, like, I don't want to make those people feel bad or anything, no. but it is just, it is so consistent to think, well, let's pick this apart. What are you really saying? Is, would you ever go up to dang Stephen King and say, wow, I just love, love you, Stephen King, my favorite author that I've never read. Um, how insulting that is when you actually put it on any other artist. Yeah. Um, and then you got to think, well, what's the difference? And it's, well, this is um, sexual art. This is queer art. It's neurodivergent art. So I think there's that vulnerability. We got to put up a wall there. I can say I, I like this, but not really like it. Right. Um, I like it. I like the performance of it. I am not in it. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I experience this all the dang time. I think that's why it's such an important uh, prop for me and, and such a big part of my art is that's that's kind of what this whole thing has been about. So um, to to take it back to the full circle nature of everything, with with a traditionally published novel, what I'm seeing is um, interesting to see Bakarus, who have always um, loved what I do, kind of forced to take it seriously. And that in itself is bringing a lot of joy. A lot, I'm getting so many messages saying, I can't believe I saw a Chuck Tingle book um, sitting at, at the front of my Barnes & Noble. Um, I mean, it's... Damn Damascus, this is, I don't know when this will air, but um, as of right now, it's been on the USA Today bestsellers for two weeks in a row now. You I know, know. congratulations. Thank you. It's, it's just, it is such a, um, these accolades, whatever you want to call them, whatever they mean to you. Um, the most exciting thing about it for me is that that, um, that kind of takes everything we're saying and then you you're kind of forcing Buckaroos to confront that, to say, oh, wait, this is a real thing. Yeah. I think that's the, the best thing that traditional publishing has done for what I'm trying to create. Is oh, it sure. kind of, there's so, there's a, that's a whole separate piece of art, performance art happening right now with every Buckaroo that walks into a bookstore and sees big stack of Chuck Tingle books right now. Yep. Um, what a beautiful moving piece of art. I, I love just that reaction alone. That's amazing. And not only the fact that is it is it a um a new venue, but it's moving your fandom, for lack of a better word, it's moving your community from the very nebulous, non-specific online space to physical reality. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Now you talk online a lot about your trot and your ways of proving love. And we talked about that way back, can you believe, seven years ago. Um, oh how has your trot evolved since then? Wow. Um, I, you know, I think that um, what I... It's been an interesting journey. Um, I put on, you know, this dang mask. I started to create things. I knew why. I knew what I wanted to say, and I knew what the outlet was for me. But as with all art, you never really know completely. Um, you know, art knows before you do. Yeah. When I started doing this, 
I knew that it felt good. Uh, and I also knew that I wanted a place to express myself, express my life. Um, but I had these layers of masks and kind of said everything through metaphors. And as it's gone, um, the more that I understood even what I was saying and what I was saying, the more I'm trying to get to that honesty underneath yeah. and strip away these layers. Yeah. Um, so I think I've evolved in a sense of I hide less of myself uh, because I now understand that this is an important part of myself. Buckaroos um, tend to think that Chuck is a character. Um, it's not a, I'm not doing a character. It's not a bit. Um, what it is, is that, um, you know, long ago, um, I had chronic pain, um, completely overwhelmed my life. I was going to the emergency room every dang week. Um, I kind of thought I would live in pain forever and, and maybe just live on painkillers, actually. Um, it was a very dark, dark time. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, after years of this, what I discovered was, you know, my, my particular way of being on the autism spectrum, these are not completely related, but um, uh, is very methodical, very um, rigid. Everything has to be perfect. And um, I even have been to therapists who said, um, dang, Chuck, you're a super ego, to use a Freudian term, even though Freud was kind of a baloney. But still, um, Freud had the ego, the super ego, and the id. The ego is basically your core self. The super ego is the disciplinarian that says, do the right thing all the time. And your id is sort of your childlike self or your maybe primal core. Yeah. Um, uh, the animal self sometimes. Um, and so, um, you know, my therapist said, your super ego is very over evolved. It's basically strangling the other parts of yourself. Wow. Um, and, and I didn't realize that uh, until, you know, I started to be able to express a part of me as Chuck that is very wild, that is very... Um, just uh, not perfect, like I said, leaving those spelling errors in, uh, creating punk rock writing with tinglers, yeah. um, speaking in a way that I want, and just kind of um, expressing parts of my sexuality that might seem strange or unusual. And the more I uh, was active under Chuck with this dang pink mask and give, gave myself a place to not neurotypically mask, the pain started to go away. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, because, well, because my body, what we later found, my body was clenched very tight. Um, I I also, at the same time, kind of went to a physical therapist and they said, these muscles have been held uh, like a rubber band ready to snap for years. Um, And it was just constant neurotypical masking. I was on the spectrum, but um, you can't really uh, tell. I'm very good at masks. I think if you know me very well without this pink mask, um, you start to think, oh, okay, I can see that this uh, buckaroo has certain quirks. Um, but my way on the autism spectrum is very not visible because I hold it in my body. I mask all the time. And so creating this space for me to unmask um, changed my life. It really, it, it honestly saved my life. I don't, I don't know what I would have done just living with that pain for forever. And so, so I have learned what this space means for me. Um, I think, and, and kind of holding this space and honoring it, 
um, has given me a, a chance to kind of be more, um, strip away the layers I don't need, uh, still protect my privacy, but um, just evolve and let it kind of just be the most raw, visceral part of me. Not a character, but um, an expression of my core, actually. And that's just very healthy for me. So things have changed a lot. It really has evolved. Very much so. And even the way that you um, talk about your art has grown and changed since our last conversation as well. Which, I mean, yes. it was seven years ago. I know a lot more stuff about myself as well. So that's completely understandable. Yes, absolutely. What movies are you watching? What stories are you listening to or interacting with? What is in the world that you are really enjoying that you want to tell people about? The world is open, whatever you want to say. Wow. Okay. Uh, Daniel, let me see. I, I think that honestly, right now, if we're saying what kind of art am I, am I interacting with? Um, this is my first book tour. I'm doing these dang long signing lines and just actually um, talking to buckaroos, um, giving hugs, shaking hands, signing books. And then you have this little, um, this little 20 second moment where you're sitting there signing the book and they're standing. And then you have this 20 second conversation. And uh, I have been so fascinated by the the medium of the 20 second conversation I've, I've been i've been so fascinated by showing up to different cities and seeing what is what is everyone going to talk about i give these presentations and so almost the art piece that i'm interacting with right now is um a live crowd a live crowd depending on what the city is yeah the way that the way that um some uh pull certain things out of the art. Um, Buckaroos will give me a bag that they made or something. And, and it's so kind gifts. And I'm just thinking, wow, what, what a potent moment. We have this, we have this 20 seconds that our timelines are going to cross. Yep. And someone says, I want, I'm going to put it all into this moment. Yeah. Um, and the, they're writing letters and then I take them and I open them and I read and sometimes I cry my dang eyes out because they're so powerful. So it is almost um, the medium, the artistic medium, because I think everything is art, whether you're dang, cooking yourself lunch or uh, going for a walk in the park. I mean, breathing is art. It's, it's you're creating a breath. Um, and so just being thrust into these conversations where I think this person has to say everything that they feel in these 20 seconds. Yep. And just, it's hitting me like a truck lately. And I, I am, it's so powerful. It's so um, humbling and honoring to think that, 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 you know, someone would care enough to, to make these 20 seconds count. So part of that to me is to every, every 20 seconds, I'm trying to give that back in return um, in any way that I can mentally, um, just really being present for each one of those. But um, artistically, that's that's where I'm trotting is these little fragments that I've never really experienced. It's so beautiful and kind of overwhelming. Honestly, so overwhelming though right now, I feel like I'm going to start crying. But um, so that's the art that's getting me going. I'm sorry if that is maybe the most abstract answer to that. Not at all. Been, but Yes. But also that fits the the larger theme of our whole conversation is the idea that being present and vulnerable is art. 
Yes, that is that. You know what? Thank you for saying in one sentence what I've rambled on for five minutes about. Yes, that is exactly it. I am, I am experiencing such visceral honesty in this tiny amount of time, and it is knocking my dang socks off every night. It's it's so wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here and being present and talking with me and creating this art for my show. Um, oh my gosh. Where can people find you if you wish to be found? Oh, dang. Well, you know, Twitter is uh, pretty much falling apart. In fact, not even called Twitter anymore. Um, but um, I'm on pretty much every social media as Chuck Tingle or I think on TikTok, I'm a real Chuck Tingle on the thing, Tumblr. I'm Dr. Chuck Tingle. By the way, Tumblr is my new favorite thing. I love media. Tumblr. I love it so it's, much. I love it so it, much. The, the just I don't know what it is about Tumblr, but just the the buckaroos on there is so art focused. And then I'm uh, you know trying around on my uh, my uh, book tour uh, for Camp Damascus. And uh, if you are interested in in a Tingleverse horror novel, uh, check that out. And because it is a traditional publisher, um, for years under the stranglehold of uh, Amazon self publishing, uh, and I, and a lot of buckers would say, "Chuck, I want to get your book, but I don't want to support uh, Amazon." Honestly, part of me in this thing book deal seems weird to think went to the big timers. Uh, to make it easier for everyone to get it at their places. But now you can get Camp Damascus at any bookstore, your indie bookstore, especially right now, it's doing well. So it's on a, on all the dang shelves. You can go get that. And now I'm not under the Amazon stranglehold with my Ornox. So that, that's, a, that's a good thing. That is a good thing. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to Dr. Tingle for hanging out with me. Thank you to Carol Perney for setting up this interview. If you have comments or questions or suggestions, or you just want to tell me what you thought, come find us at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast, episode number 579. I will have links to all of the books that we talked about and, of course, my previous interviews with Dr. Tingle in the show notes and on the website. I do have a favor to ask before I get to the terrible joke, which is excellently terrible. I do have a small favor to ask. I used to have reviews on on Apple Podcasts. I used to have some. People said nice things. I don't have any anymore and I don't know why. I have no idea. They're gone. Apple is a mystery and has always been a mystery, but reviews are really important. Ask me how I know. And there's a lot of podcasts for people to find. So if you are really enjoying the show and your thumbs are not busy at this moment and you would like to leave a review, I would be deeply appreciative. I know I had some. Where did they go? Please help me out. I don't know where they went. It's really baffling me. And speaking of things that are baffling, I have a terrible joke. This is from Inked Up and Sonic on Blue Sky. Yes, I am sourcing jokes from Blue Sky and I'm on Blue Sky at Smart Pitches. This joke is especially for our Norwegian listeners like Bull. Hi, Bull. What is the difference between regular wood and Norwegian wood? Give up? Norwegian wood is a fjordable. <laughs> a fjordable, yes. And you can make lots of pining jokes now, too. <laughs> fjordable. <laughs> On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books, this here show, is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.